Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. So when you find yourself in the middle of nowhere, with time on your hands, and you are surrounded by friends, trouble can have a way of finding you. I, uh, I was sharing with uh, the student ministry a month or two ago about how trouble had found me. I was finishing my first year of college, and I had been out late with some friends with time on my hands in the middle of nowhere. And the group of guys that I was with, there are two different friend groups, okay? There's the friend group of guys that you hang out with that everything is fine and chill. And then there's the group of guys that you hang out with that like to get a little rowdy. And even worse, they know how to get you a little rowdy, okay? This was that second friend group. And one of the things this friend group loved to do is they loved to go on what they called drive nights. And drive nights were where you loaded up in a car and you just go and you got lost for a couple hours. You would blare the radio and just drive, okay? I went to school in West Texas. This is about as best as it gets, okay? All right. So one night, they invite me to go on drive night with Big Red. And if you don't know who Big Red is, that would be my truck that I had, my red Dodge Dakota. It was a beautiful truck. And I take the boys out in my truck, and everything is going great until one of them leans over in the back seat and whispers in my ear, I bet this toy truck doesn't go fast. Mm, 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 mm. There's a couple things you need to know about me. One, competition is not in my blood. It is my blood. Okay. <laughs> Same of all, no one whispers in my ear. And third of all, no one talks about Big Red like that. So without any warning, I just floor it. And I take Big Red faster than Big Red has ever gone in his life. And they're loving it. And I'm loving it. Life couldn't get any better until I look ahead. And I realize that there is no road in about 25 yards in front of us. The road actually takes a curve and a turn and a sharp turn. And in my expert driving ability on dirt roads, I do the most logical thing. I slam on the brakes, which if you've ever slammed on the brakes in a dirt road, you would know the vehicle will start to turn sideways and drift. The boys think this is on purpose. They are loving every second of it. And I am panicking because as the truck is drifting, I'm realizing this truck is not going to stop in time. Everything slows down for me. I can remember the smell of the dirt coming through the truck as we're sliding. I remember Katy Perry playing in the background. Even though it's Katy Perry, I needed a Carrie Underwood type of night because Jesus needed to take that wheel. And as we're sliding, I realize we are going to fall off into this ditch. And by the grace of God, and I really do mean that statement, by the grace of God on that hot summer night, 
when we reached the end of that road, there was a large rock that caught my back tire. And before we dump off of into this ditch, the truck is caught and all the boys realize the circumstance we are now in. And we all lean the other way of the truck as the truck leans and we are able to keep the truck on the road. I remember getting out. They are loving it. And I just stare at this ditch that we almost fell into. The most horrifying part is that it wasn't a ditch. It was a cliff off into a lake. One of the graces of God is when God can catch you before you get off track. One of the things that the Bible is going to tell you about is that when everything is going good, you have the greatest potential to actually get off track. When things seem like they are going so right, they can also in the blink of an eye go wrong. And one of the ways the Bible shares this with you is by sharing with you stories of people who shared their life with God. And this is the story shared by David. David is young. He is in the middle of nowhere. He is hanging out with the boys. David is helping people. Everything seems to be going right for David. And things are about to get off track for David. David is with this ragtag group of guys who are in the back roads of Carmel, which sounds delicious, I know. And they are helping people. They're helping people in the way that it would be like the equivalent today of like a neighborhood watch party, okay? Like they are out there looking out for other people and their herd. And just in a couple verses, you get to see how complicated David really is. Because David approaches this rich landowner, Nabal. And even though Nabal has never asked for David's services, David expects to be paid for his services. And what's interesting is that you find David actually participating in something that God's anointed would not be found participating in. In essence, David is practicing something that is a secular practice. And this is the theme of David's life. It's the theme of our series. That David is complicated. When you see a complex heart, you see a reflection of the human heart. All of us are a mixture of mixed motivations. And although (laughs) David comes to Nabal and expects some sort of payment for watching his herds, when he comes to Nabal, Nabal is like, I've never heard of you. And in light of these words, David reacts. And I would argue he does more than just react. Here's David's response. So David said to his men, each of you strap on a sword. So they did. And David strapped on his sword as well. And about 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. David doesn't just react. David overreacts. 
This is a business deal that has gone sideways. And David basically says, strap on your sword and I'm going to bring 400 men. And anytime the Bible uses 400, we know because of other instances in the Bible that David is not planning to go over there and just rough them up and send a statement. David is sending men over there to cause a massacre. David's reaction is not equal to Nabal's reaction. As a matter of fact, David's reaction is an overreaction. And I'm sure none of us can relate in this room to overreacting to something in our lives, right? It is worth pausing in this moment to think about reactions in your life. Because whenever you react in a way that is disproportionate to the actions of someone else, you are usually finding yourself in a place to receive God's action in life. Another way of saying this is that our personal reactions, our personal revelations, your external reactions are indicators of the internal revelations of where God's work can happen in your life. And one of the things when you overreact or react harshly in a way that is disproportionate to the actions that happen around you, usually you are working with some type of script that you are telling yourself. If you're not used to the language of family systems of scripts, let me get, hand you a definition for what a script would be. Scripts are the words that we tell ourselves, either consciously or subconsciously, of how we should act or react to the world around us. The question for you is not, do you have a script that you follow in your head? The question is, what scripts are inside your head? What things have you picked up of how you should act or how you should react that are deep within you? People have commented about how beautiful the human brain is. That the front of your brain is basically like an etch-a-sketch. Like every time you have an experience, a line is drawn in the neurology of the front of your brain that is a pattern. And your brain learns that pattern over and over again. You know about scripts. If you have ever had the feeling where you have walked into somewhere and you hear a song and it takes you back to a moment in high school, you know about scripts. If you've ever smelt a certain smell and it takes you back to a moment or a person in life, you know about scripts. We all have picked up actions and reactions from our upbringing and people around us that are ingrained in our minds. I can give you a humorous example of this. So I grew up in a family where uh, we did uh, traits for a living. Uh, we worked out on the farm. Uh, we worked in settings where we did cable work. Uh, and one of the things my family was notorious for was anytime something would go wrong or something wouldn't work, uh, we had a way of working out our frustration. We would kick whatever the thing is that wasn't working. Okay. I know none of you would do barbaric actions like that. 
But that's one of the ways that our family worked things out, right? So I learned growing up, if you're frustrated at something, the solution is kick that thing. And I watched my father and my grandfather do these actions over and over again. So I picked up as a child, oh, you handle frustration by kicking something. So one day I'm out in the field and I'm all alone and I can't get the machine to work and I get frustrated and it's hot and I get overworked up and what do I do? I kick this thing. And when I kick this thing, I bust my toe open. And I remember when I came back to the house, I had a broken engine and I had a broken toe. And I thought to myself, this isn't helpful. This is hurtful. Like this doesn't help the situation whatsoever. It is a script. And this is what makes you and I so complicated. We mimic the actions and reactions of other people around ourselves. Do you know what the scripts are? The words that you tell yourself. The way that you act or react. When Zane did soul work this week preparing for this lesson, I thought of a couple. I listened to the script of protect yourself by proving yourself. When I think in my marriage, I think about point out what's wrong with them before they point out what's wrong with you. Say yes to someone before they don't say yes to you. Say you're okay even when you're not okay and everything will be okay. We all have scripts, ways of acting and reacting, either consciously or subconsciously, that we have picked up in the world. And it is okay to have scripts because it is usually the way you have found to cope in the world. David, has a script that he tells himself. When David gets heated and he says, boys, load up, we're going to go out there, strap on your swords. This is what David is saying to himself in verse 21. David had just said to himself, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He had, and pay attention to this closely, he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all those who belong to him. It is interesting that David says in his mind, he has paid me back evil for good. The whole reason David is out deserted right now is because there is a king who has paid him back evil for good. And now that David is dealing with someone who's not above himself, but is equal to or below him, David is playing this script. I will return Nabal's evil with evil. And this is where the good news of God collides into your life. This is where the good news of God collides into David's life. Because God's action to David's reaction is to send David a new script. No matter what script you have received in your life, consciously or subconsciously, God right now is rewriting that script 
in your life. And God sends words. And God doesn't just send words in an email. God sends words through the words of Abigail. Because Abigail, Nabal's wife, catches wind that David is coming. And she floors it. She brings gifts. She brings gratitude. But more importantly, she stops David to bring God back to him. So much so that David actually says, when Abigail gives the whole spiel and she says, don't do it. You're God's anointed. Don't do this. The first thing that David says is David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day, from avenging myself from my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you. If you had not come to me quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would exist and would have been left alive by daybreak. And then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and I have granted your request. God speaks through the words of Abigail. And David hears God's words through Abigail. Often we complicate hearing God when God works and speaks in non-complicated ways. Sometimes when we think about God speaking into our lives, we think in very dramatic ways. But in this moment, God works through the most human thing possible. The thing that you spend your week doing. Human conversation early Jesus followers people who submit themselves to this way of life used to say things like God's words are living words that God's reality is a hearing reality there's a Christian by the name of Karl Barth who once said that when it comes to God speaking God can speak through community. He can speak through a concert. He can speak through a blooming shrub. And he can even speak through your dog that you even have if he wants to. And some of you said, Amen. In essence, what he meant is he said, God can choose to speak however God pleases to speak. And God doesn't just do this in dramatic ways. God speaks in subtle and marginal ways. God speaks through a female in a patriarchal society and is the only reasonable voice. Abigail is the only person without a weapon and she still is the most impactful person in the story. And because David stops and he lets the words of God come into his life, David finds another script. He lives life differently because he let the words of God speak into his life. Part of life with God is letting God speak into your life. And the question for all of us, 
is do you let God speak into your life? Do you let God dialogue with the words that you tell yourself? Do you let God's words influence what you tell yourself of how you should act and how you should react? And for those of us today who are craving for God's words to enter into our life, to welcome them. I want to point out just three things with how Abigail speaks to David that links with how God speaks to us. If you want to discern how are God's words coming into your life, are these words God's words, here's three things to pay attention to. First is this, is that the words of God lift up instead of put down. When Abigail comes to David, it's actually described in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Abigail's words match her posture. A lot of times when we think about God's words, we assign God's words in a posture that is not God's words. One of the first ways to evaluate. Is God speaking in my life? Is asking. Do the words match the posture of God? Is the words that I'm hearing lifting me up? Are they affirming me? Are they convicting me? You know, honestly, like sometimes we joke about this, but we probably need to stop joking about God is not torturing you. God does not find things in your life that are hard or difficult, funny. God does not shame us. He does not tease us. He does not trick us. He does not terrorize us. He doesn't throw his hands up at us. God loves us. And in Jesus Christ, he speaks lovingly to us. He lifts us up. He does not put us down. The second is God's words resonate with the past. Abigail, when she speaks to David, the first thing that she reminds him of is this, even though someone's pursuing you to take your life, David, the life of my Lord will be bound up securely in the bundle of the living God. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Hurl away from the pocket of a sling. This isn't just beautiful poetry, okay? This is a reminder to David of God's salvation before this. God's words come to us in such a way that they should not contradict the past. They should remind us of how God has worked with God's people before and is working with God's people now. If you're wondering about welcoming God's words into your life, one of the things to ask yourself, is it the word that I'm hearing resonating with how God has worked? before and finally with God's words is that it brings out beauty when Abigail is described longtime readers of scripture have pointed out over and over again this is the first time in the Bible that intelligent is actually brought forward before beauty what makes Abigail beautiful inside and out is her words and her thoughts and her mind David, the first time you're introduced to David, 
is described as beautiful. But this moment that you see, he is not beautiful. Okay, This is an ugly moment for David. And Abigail's beauty of her words helps wake David back up to the beauty of his life. He's reminded of his identity again. David becomes beautiful through this reaction. David finds beauty again. God's words should bring out the most beautiful parts of you that you didn't even know were there. In essence, God's word should help you realize who you are. It should remind you what you could be doing and what your life is for in the first place. The most common experience of the Christian life is to live in such a way where things start out right and then someone crosses you, something changes in your life, and you get off track. We let scripts, we let actions, we let reactions affect us. And when we get off track, the thing we must do is open ourselves back up to the words of God. Simply the test for you today is do you know the words that you tell yourself that guide how you act and react in the world and help us, Lord, help us after the week that we have just had. Do you let the words of God guide your action and reaction? And if not, the good news of God is that God is speaking, that God is rewriting the script that is in your mind you need to just let him subtly rework the script that you tell yourself. And for many of us, hearing the words of God may be uncomfortable just because we're unfamiliar with it. And we're unfamiliar with it because honestly, we're not willing to do what David does. Stop in our tracks, pause, and listen to the words of God. I think for a lot of us, if it comes to the words of God this week, it's not about changing your whole life to start a new Bible plan. But it's simply just asking yourself, do you need to be playing something while you are cooking? It's doing something like, do you have to be entertained while you are in the car? Or can you just ask yourself, what's the thing I'm thinking about the most in life right now? Do we always have to have a show playing or something in the background? Or what if we were just listening to the words of God occasionally in the most mundane parts of life? If we welcome and open ourselves up to the words of God, we start to become familiar with the reality that we are bundled up in life with God. Foolishness, not a life where you play Wordle and you can't get it or that you're terrible at trivia nights. Foolishness is being out of touch with reality, and that's God's reality. Are you in touch with God's reality? Listen to his word. Let me pray for us. Uh, so God, we praise you that you have spoken to us, and through the Son of David, Jesus Christ, you continue to speak through us and to us. God, may you help us this week to listen closely to your words coming through scripture, coming through the people that we sit next to in small group, from people that we do life together with, from the nature and beauty that we see around us. God, 
may we bump into your words. May you rewrite our scripts, our actions, and our reactions. May your words affect the words that we say and give in our life. God, work in the complicatedness that is this week for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.